Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas to everyone this morning. So if you'd like to sing more of that and hear more of that, we invite you back Saturday night, 7 o'clock, for our Christmas Eve candlelight service right here in the auditorium. That's this coming Saturday. There will be no services on Christmas Day, on Sunday. So don't forget about that. Also, don't forget that the next Sunday, New Year's Day, we are not having two services at 9 and 11. We are just having one service on New Year's Day, January the 1st at 10 o'clock. And because we're only having one service that day, I would encourage you to get here a little early if you want a seat, because I have a feeling because we're just going to have one service that day, that our service that day will probably be pretty full. Also, don't forget that for the next couple of Wednesdays, Wednesday the 21st and Wednesday the 28th, there will be no midweek service, but we will come back strong in the book of Exodus on Wednesday, January the 4th. And we hope that many of you will be able to start out the new year joining us on January the 4th. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along or your phones and you want to follow along this morning, I want you to follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. The first time I ever even heard a portion of this passage of Scripture, I was a little over four years of age. It was December 9th, 1965, when a Charlie Brown Christmas (laughs) premiered on CBS. And a little... Four-year-old boy was, first of all, fascinated by the fact that I was hearing Bible on TV, and then to hear little Linus get up and basically tell everyone in the gang, this is what Christmas is all about. So I want you to follow along with me as we read together the Christmas story again, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, Luke writes... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus to register all the empire for taxes. This was the first registration taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone went to his own town to be registered. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary who was promised in marriage to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds nearby living out in the field, keeping guard over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Listen carefully, for I proclaim to you good news that brings great joy to all the people. Today your Savior is born in the city of David. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. 
You will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a vast heavenly army appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among people with whom he is pleased. When the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place that the Lord has made known to us. So they hurried off and located Mary and Joseph and found the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw him, they related what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were astonished at what the shepherds said. But Mary treasured up all these words, pondering in her heart what they might mean. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Everything was just as it had been told. Certainly this is maybe one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in all the Bible. And certainly the most familiar probably to each of us of the Christmas story. So my hope and prayer today was that that God would give us the ability to see this story with fresh eyes and to hear it with fresh ears. And I want to approach this passage of Scripture in this way. I see four things about our God related to us in this passage of Scripture. I see the love of God, I see the sovereignty of God, I see the wonder of God, and I see the revelation of God. And then I see a heavenly response and an earthly response to that revelation. And so I want us to look at this passage this morning from this aspect. First of all, we see in the passage that when the angels come to the shepherd, they announce that this is good news that is going to bring great joy to all the people because your Savior is now born. Do you know you need a Savior? You see, that for many even today, they don't even realize they need a Savior. That's why they're not really looking for a Savior or celebrating the birth of a Savior because They've never even come to grips with the fact that they need one, but the Bible clearly tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our sin has created a gulf between us and God. And the only mediator, the the only one that can bring mankind and our sin and the holiness of God together is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is great news that a Savior has been born. And the very fact that God came as a human being, the very fact that the Father sent his Son is a reminder to us that you cannot separate the story of Christmas without being reminded of the love of God for each of us. It is God's love that made Christmas possible in the first place i mean john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life paul writes god demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. John, 
who obviously wrote John 3.16, could never get over the love of God, even for himself. So in his first epistle, 1 John, he writes these words, God is love. And God has revealed his love in us in that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might have life and live through him. John goes on to write, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son for us to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin. 1 John 4, 8 through 1 John 4, 10. You cannot think about, read, and study the story of Christmas without coming to the realization that all of that was made possible, first of all, because God loves us. He loves you. Remember, the angel said to the shepherds, your Savior is born, not just a Savior, your personal Savior has been born. That, 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 that weight and that burden of, of guilt and sin and imperfection and frailty and failure and all of that, it can be done away with by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And the, the great message of the angels to the shepherds was also this. You can find your Savior lying in a manger because God not only provided a Savior because of his love, he made it in such a way that our Savior can be found. It would have done no good for God to provide a Savior and then none of us be able to find our Savior. Even the shepherds were able to literally find their Savior. And God has said the same thing to us. We can find our Savior because God will make sure that we have, if we're interested at all in a relationship with God and having a Savior, he will make sure that he gets the message of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he will make sure that we get that revelation, that message, so that as the word of faith is near to us, and it is near to every one of us today, whether we're here in the auditorium or whether we're watching from our homes today, that if we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, Paul says to the Romans, you and I can be saved. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord can experience salvation and can have a Savior today. I hope you're rejoicing today in the fact that the love of God has provided a Savior, but even more than that, I hope you are rejoicing in the fact that you have found your Savior that there was a time in your life where you did confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for you, not just a Savior, your Savior, all because God loves you and have you received the love of God in the gift of Jesus Christ.
Paul describes this wonderful gift as an indescribable gift because it is a gift. Both our Savior and our salvation is a gift. It is not something that we can earn. It is not something that we can work for. Paul said to the Ephesians, for by grace we are saved through faith, and that is even not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. All praise goes to him because he's done it all from beginning to end, and he did it all because he loves you. Throughout this holiday season, And even as you wake up on Christmas morning to celebrate the birth of your Savior, I hope more than anything else that you wake up to the realization and the reminder of how much you are loved by God. How much you are loved by God. So there's the love of God in this story. But I also want you to see and be encouraged and comforted by the sovereignty of God that you see in the Christmas story. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. God is sovereign over the timing of every event on earth, including the coming of his son into this earth. Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4, at the appointed time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God had a specific purpose of why he chose that particular time of history to send forth Jesus into the world. It was during the reign of the Roman Empire. It was during a time in history that is called the Pax Romana, or the Roman peace. It was about 200 years in human history where, because of the Roman Empire, there was relative peace and tranquility around the world. And because of the Roman Empire, there were roads and and navigation systems that were built that could carry things like the gospel to furthest parts of the world that had never been before the Roman Empire. See, isn't it ironic that the Jews who were looking for their Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman Empire was the very empire that God was using to fulfill his plan and purpose? Because he's sovereign. He's in control. In fact, he was even in control of the person on earth at that time that was considered the world leader, the most powerful person on planet earth at that time, Caesar Augustus. And he probably didn't even know he was being used as an instrument of God when he sent out that decree for all the Roman Empire to be on the move and go back to their ancestral home. But God was moving in the heart and mind of even Caesar Augustus to bring forth his will because Caesar Augustus in the Roman Empire wasn't in control of the world. God was. And he was using them to fulfill his plan and purpose. I hope that will bring you comfort today because we live in a world today even with Christians where we're more concerned about who's in the White House and who's in control of all the nations of the world than who's always on the throne of the universe. 
And it doesn't matter who's in power here. God is using all of them to fulfill his plan and purpose. Good or bad, it doesn't matter. Because he's sovereign. In fact, very interestingly, Caesar Augustus was known as the son of God. He was the adoptive son of Julius Caesar, who was known in Rome as a god. So when Julius Caesar adopted Augustus, he was known as the son of God. Well, I think the real son of God is telling us all in this story who's really in control. And isn't it interesting, too, and we'll get to this a little bit later, that this little baby who is seemingly so vulnerable when he's born is more powerful than all the empire of Rome and all of the demonic forces in the world and Satan himself, all of them put together isn't as powerful as that little baby right there in that manger. Because he is Christ the Lord, the ruler of the universe, the Messiah. Even in the timing of Jesus' birth, because it tells us there that while they were in Bethlehem, it was her time to deliver. And, and God was overseeing all of those events also to fulfill the prophecies that he had made concerning the birth of the Messiah. He says through the prophet Micah in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Ephrata. There was more than one Bethlehem. So God was very specific through the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. For you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be small amongst the clans of Judah, from you a king will emerge who will rule over Israel on my behalf, whose origins are from the far distant past. God was overseeing it all. The timing of the birth, where the birth took place, the fact that he was moving in the mind of the most powerful man on planet Earth at that time to issue a decree so that Joseph and Mary, who, by the way, were also ancestors and descendants of David, which was also the fulfillment of prophecy, would go to Bethlehem, and that's where Jesus was born. God was in control of every last detail of the Christmas story. And I hope that that will hearten you and encourage and comfort you because the same God who oversaw every detail of the Christmas story is overseeing every detail on planet Earth right now and overseeing every detail of your life and my life. And we are in the hands of the very capable ruler of the universe. And because he loves you, everything that he's allowing to come in and out of our lives is all because of his love. Because he has our best interest at heart. The love of God, the sovereignty of God, but let's talk for a moment about the wonder of God. Does not the story of the birth of Jesus Christ stir within us all in wonder when we think about how he came? I mean... You're talking about the Son of God. 
You're talking about the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the ruler of the universe. We're talking here about one who was described earlier on last week in Luke chapter 1 as the one who is great, who will rule over the house of Jacob forever and whose kingdom will never end. And yet, he comes in such a vulnerable humble way and and God places himself into the hands of human beings and yes even Joseph and Mary are honorable human beings and they're good but they're still very imperfect and he's placing himself into their hands yeah says a lot about God, doesn't it? It says a lot about God's values, too, when you see the surroundings of his birth. You and I would have thought, oh, my goodness, if, if this is the most important personage in human history, then surely there's going to be room. No, there's no room for him. So they got to find this place where the animals are hanging out and where it's stinky and smelly and dirty and all Mary and Joseph have because they're not wealthy because that's not ultimately the biggest, most important thing with God is that all they can wrap him in is strips of cloth. They don't even have a blanket that they can wrap their firstborn son, and and they're lying him in a feeding trough for animals. Not a lot of creature comforts, is it? He's God. He's the ruler of the universe. There's no one higher than him, and yet this is the way God chose for him to come? What a wonder. And again, it gives us great insight then into the values and priorities of God. And it screams to us. God isn't as concerned about physical comfort and physical material things as he is the heart and the spirit. That's what matters to God. And he even put his own son into not a very comfortable position to start with. And he placed him into a family that they weren't people of power and prestige and position because that's not what really matters to God. He knew that this young couple would do the very best they could with what they had. And that was enough for God because God knew more than anything else that Joseph and Mary would love their son. And they might not be able to supply him with all the things that the world and, and, and wealthier families could provide for their children, but they would give Jesus the things that matter most. A loving home and the knowledge of the Lord. And knowing that, that he's going to be born into a family, as we're going to see in a couple weeks on New Year's Day, that are devoted to the Lord. That's what mattered. 
Not that everybody was warm enough, everybody had enough stuff around them, that, that they had the finest food and, and the finest, you know, surroundings and all of that. No. The way he came should always cause awe and wonder in us. Because you, you and I know, if we're honest, if that had even been our child, we'd have chosen everything to be just so-so and the best of everything. It's the way it is, right? And somehow we think that's the most important thing. Not to God. Not even for his own son. You'd have thought, well, if God's sovereign, he could have made sure that there was room somewhere. You're right. You're right. He could have. But that shows that's not God's value or priority. Oh, the wonder of God. Then let's talk about the revelation of God. That takes up verses 8 through 20. The angels, the shepherds. Notice the shepherds even say later on in that passage, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us, revealed to us. Because when the angel comes and announces the birth of this Savior, that angel's being dispatched by God. The angel doesn't come on his own. So God is revealing himself and this Savior and this salvation in this Savior through the angels to the shepherds. Let's talk about the angels for a moment and the heavenly response to this revelation of God. It's something that I don't think that you and I obviously will never be able to totally appreciate because we're not angels. But it's something that we at least should ponder a little bit more than maybe what we do, and I'm saying that even to myself. I mean, think about it. Put yourself as much as we can as human beings into the place of these angels. For millennia, since they were created, they have been up there in heaven in the presence of the glory of the Son of God, worshiping him adoring him, exalting him, celebrating him. He's been the object of their worship for thousands upon thousands of years. And now these angels have to try to wrap their minds around the fact that the one that they have been worshiping is now going to leave for a time. And as if that wouldn't be enough, He's going to take upon himself human flesh and bone? Really? He's going to leave that to go down there? And when he gets there, they're not truly going to appreciate who he is because he's going to come as this little baby who doesn't look any different than the rest of them do. 
And they've got to be just going, wow. Again, the wonder of God. Again, you and I, we can't appreciate that perspective because we've never seen Jesus in all of his glory yet. But they did and had for many, many thousands of years. And now all of a sudden they're seeing the one who's always been in that position, now humbling himself and coming as a human being, and now he's way down here with the rest of us. Again, so that he could be our savior and reveal to us how much God loves us. I can only imagine it's one of those conversations that when I get to heaven, I hope that I can have with maybe an angel or two. What were you thinking when Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a human being? Oh, Jeff, let me tell you. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, we always knew God was beyond us. We, we understood that as angels. We, we knew that you know, there are things about God and whatever that's just always blowing our minds even as angels and stuff, and we're always here. But that, we didn't see that coming, Jeff. We didn't see the Lord of glory leaving glory and wrapping himself up in humanity. We, that just, that set us back. To think that that. The God that we've been worshiping for thousands of years loves those people so much that he would do that for them. And we as angels can't appreciate that because we don't have to be saved. But they did. And that's what our glorious God did for them. Even when they were still sinners and wanted nothing to do with him, that was what he did. Yeah, you're right, Jeff. That was, that was an amazing day. See, I think that's why even in the story of Luke, there's that one angel for, for a few moments that's making that announcement to the shepherds, but then it says, now a whole heavenly army appears, and they're saying, glory to God in the highest. They are giving God, even to me, even greater celebration and greater worship and all that, because they, they're seeing what is happening from a whole different perspective than what the way we see it. And I think they're just overwhelmed and overcome by a God that would do that. And so there's a heavenly response of just exuberant and enthusiastic and unending worship. I mean, they're just... They are celebrating God like maybe they've never celebrated God before. But then there's an earthly response. Because that angel was dispatched by God to shepherds. Crazy, isn't it? These random shepherds out there on the field. Why did God send the angel to them? Why not to Jerusalem? to the center of Judaism, 
to where all the religious leaders and religious people were who had the Old Testament scriptures, who had all the prophecies in front of them, who knew the word of God like no one else. Why did he send them to the shepherds? Because all those people, for the most part, they could care less. They missed Christmas because though they had the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God never made an impact upon their heart. It was all head and no heart. And though the religious leaders of Israel knew more about the coming of the Messiah than anybody else, they didn't care to walk six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see their Savior. But the shepherds, God knew, they would respond. That's that's a good reminder for us. You want God to reveal more of himself and his plan and his purpose to you? Then make sure you respond in an appropriate way when he does. Because God will reveal himself and his plan and his purpose to those that he knows will respond. And the shepherds sure did. Notice it says, after the angels left, the shepherds began to just like talk to one another. And you can only imagine, it says in the, in the Greek language, they, they couldn't shut up. They couldn't stop talking. They just kept saying, we got to go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. You know what that tells me about an appropriate response is, first of all, that we want to be part of firsthand experiencing the presence of God. It wasn't enough for the shepherds to go, that was a nice announcement that the angels gave us, wasn't it? And that's really nice that there's a Savior over there about six miles away in Bethlehem. That we'll, we'll celebrate him here on the hillside. We won't leave our sheep or anything. No. Worship always closes the gap between our distance between us and the presence of God. And when God tells them, as he tells us, this is where I'm at, then guess what? God's people should appropriately respond. Then we want to be God where you are. And we want to be a part of what you're doing because that's the appropriate response. Let's go and let's be firsthand experiencing what God has made known to us. We're not satisfied to see it from a distance. We want to be as up close and personal and in the presence of God as we possibly can be. And that was the appropriate earthly response of the shepherds. But it doesn't end there. It also says later on in the passage that they began to relate to everyone around them what had been told them about the child. Now, note that. That's very important. They weren't relating to everybody around them what they had seen when they got to Bethlehem and they saw the Savior in the manger. It was more important the truth that had been related to them about what this child was or who this child was from the angel. That was what they were relating. In a sense, they were relating the truth of Jesus Christ. That's an appropriate response. That's why every day as Christians, 
we should go, Lord, is there somebody that you can bring into my path today that I can share Jesus with? And it doesn't even have to be in an evangelistic way, although that would be awesome, to share the good news that a Savior has come for them too. That's certainly part of it. But sometimes it's just about sharing Jesus with one another, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, an appropriate response isn't just being willing to experience God firsthand and not get information and knowledge about God secondhand. And to make sure that we are as close to God as we can possibly be and that wherever God is, that's where we want to be. But that we also live a life that we can't help but share how wonderful Jesus is with everybody that we come in contact with. That we can't stop talking about him because he's the most important person in our life. And without him, where would we all be? So just like the shepherds, we want to relate the truth about Jesus to anyone and everyone that we come in contact with. And then they have one more response. It says they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had experienced. Those words speak about singing praises, about magnifying him, about celebrating him, worshiping him just like the angels did. Glory to God in the highest. They were singing praises as angels to God, and that's exactly what the shepherds were doing. They were singing praises about Jesus. You and I get that opportunity here at church twice a week. We get that opportunity hopefully every day as we personally worship the Lord and sing praises to our God. That's an appropriate earthly response to God making himself known to us. That we not only know a Savior has come, but he's our Savior, and we've embraced him, and we believe in him, and we have eternal life and salvation through him. How can we not but sing praises to him and worship him in such a way? So today, as you and I contemplate, ponder, as Mary did, and think about the story of Christmas, may we be reminded that in the story of Christmas, we see the love of God, the sovereignty of God, the wonder of God, and the revelation of God. And that in all of that, when God reveals himself, he expects a response. And we see the appropriate response from heaven with the angels, and we see a very appropriate response from earth through the shepherds. Those responses should stir and motivate us to respond to our Savior and our salvation in the same way. So would you join me this Christmas season? And would you even join me now as we end being able to have the privilege and honor of magnifying and celebrating our Savior. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask you all to stand.
Jesus is here today. The Messiah, the Lord, the ruler of the universe, the one who is greater than any other. And we now have the opportunity in his presence while he's here and while he's watching and while he's listening to celebrate him. Let us come and do that today. Father, we thank you today for the wonderful story of Christmas. God, may the coming of Jesus to this earth never get old for us. May it never be a story that we've heard so much that it doesn't move us and touch us like it should. May we see in it, God, your love for us. And Lord, may we respond in a very appropriate and fitting way to who you are and the wonder of a God that would leave glory and come to this earth to die for each of us. Oh God, may we lift you up in this place today as your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.